You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to the Skylight Books Podcast. I'm your host, Nat, and today we are thrilled to welcome contributors to the new anthology, Where Monsters Lurk and Magic Hides, published by B Infinite Publishing and edited by Lauren T. Davila. For today's episode, I'm going to introduce you to some of the contributors before they read a short bit of their stories for you, and then we'll open it up to some conversation. Before we start, I'm going to introduce the editor of this lovely anthology, Lauren T. Davila, and the co-founder of B Infinite Publishing, Kai Adia, and let them tell you a little bit about how this collection came about. Lauren T. Davila is a Pushcart-nominated Latina author, anthologist, and acquisitions editor. Her poetry and short fiction have appeared online in Granada Magazine, The Paragon Journal, Ghost Heart Literary Magazine, Peach Velvet Mag, and others. She holds an MFA in fiction writing from George Mason University. After completing her studies, she plans to teach at the collegiate level while working in publishing. She is currently editing her debut novel, At the Still Point, an adult gothic mystery featuring ballerinas and the Greek Furies. Besides her personal and anthology work, she is currently the acquisitions editor at Inked in Gray Press. As a disabled woman of color, she heavily prioritizes acquisitions of diverse and or historically marginalized authors. She lives in the greater Los Angeles area where you can find her swimming, walking her golden retriever, and drinking one too many rose lattes. Kai Adia is the co-founder of Be Infinite Publishing, spearheading the editing and creative design of innovative book projects that amplify BIPOC voices. She's a writer of prose, poetry, and short stories, focusing on the genres of science fiction and fantasy. In 2020, she published her debut poetry collection, The Depths of Anima. She has shared her work in various journals and anthologies, including The Brownies Book and Future Splendor, celebrating a new renaissance. Currently, she is the communications manager with Habitat for Humanity of Greater Los Angeles, when Kai isn't writing, she is drinking matcha lattes and watching too many K-dramas. First up, we have Taylor Ramage. Taylor Ramage is a poetry and fantasy author of Puerto Rican descent. Her flash fiction has appeared in speculative and literary anthologies. Her published poetry includes the collections Forgive Us Our Trespasses and Lest I Know Your Weakness. Taylor has an avid love of stories in all forms. She'll read for us from her story Beyond the Mist, which inspired the cover art of this anthology. Hi, this is Taylor Ramage, and I'm reading an excerpt from my short story, Beyond the Mist. While Elena tossed feed to the chickens strutting on the steep incline behind her house, she gave thanks to Yilra and, for the thousandth time, prayed for the goddess's revival. The chickens clucked contentedly as they pecked at their morning meal and hobbled behind the plantain trees that jutted out from the mountainside. Elena felt the day's humidity gathering. Not even the highest peaks were spared from Oyeren's heat, though the mountains cooled at night. Leaning on the wooden railing that lined the deck around her house, Elena peered toward the ocean. Beyond the thick palm trees and groves of green tropical plants covering the mountains, she could see the mist wall. It hung over the water, no matter how warm or windy, giving the Lunesos the perfect cover for the inevitable invasion. Dejected whispers among the villagers said once their ships broke through the mist, they'd already be on Oyaren's shores. But if conquest was only a matter of time, why wasn't there even more urgency to secure Yilra's protection? Oyaren needed it now more than ever, 
and Elena's visions, which had grown stronger since Poppy disappeared, only added to her unease. Yet most days, Elena felt like she was the only one who still cared about the goddess, still believed in her protection. As a child, Poppy had told her that before the great storm trapped Yura, the goddess would dance among her creation, the Kolkis call her guiding melody. Elena thought these were just sweet bedtime stories until her visions began. Dreams of her people from long ago. Disjointed flashes, churning waves and crystals, non-existent walking snakes and giant birds, and then darkness. Mommy never wanted to hear about it, but Poppy understood. Every inexplicable thing proved that Yura was still somehow at work, despite being imprisoned and separated from her people for so long. The door behind Elena creaked open, and Mommy appeared, hair tied in a tight bun. Nena, we have to harvest the plantains before it gets too hot. Hey! She tapped on the floor of the deck with her foot. Stop staring at the sea like that. Your father did that before he left. Elena started and gripped the railing of the deck, but otherwise didn't move. Left. Disappeared. Whatever the word. Poppy was gone from them, and he'd taken his stories with him. The visions called him, the same as Abuela, and he walked down to the sea on an important mission. The fisherman whose canoe he'd borrowed said Poppy was muttering about ending the legacy of the storm and chasing away the invader. Then he rode into the ocean toward the mist wall and never came back. Poppy talked about the visions all the time with Elena, especially after she started having them herself. His eyes shone with pride as he told her they were part of their family legacy. They're pieces from a story we don't fully know, so we pass it down and try to find the truth. Poppy taught her that everything from the chickens to the coquis told of Yura's return, begging him to spread the news, stay devoted, just as their ancestors had been. Yet visions without context made it hard to keep faith in the details. Next up, we have Ashley Jean Granillo. Ashley Jean Granillo is a Mexican-American writer hailing from the San Fernando Valley. She currently teaches college-level writers and in the past has hosted creative writing workshops for middle schoolers. She has her BA and MA in creative writing from Cal State Northridge, but she got her start as a writer at the age of five when she illustrated and published her first book through Telfair Elementary's Book Buddy program. Currently, she is an MFA candidate in fiction for UCR's Low Residency Program in Palm Desert. And when she isn't writing, she's exploring LA's cat cafes, writing songs, wandering Disneyland, and cuddling with her dog, Emmy. She'll read for us from her story, Besitos. This is Ashley Grineo, and I'm reading an excerpt from Besitos. 10.30 p.m. How could so many kisses bring so much sadness? Kisses were the ultimate displays of affection, of human contact. You're literally swapping DNA with another human. But for Lupe, kisses were the equivalent to stars, untouchable. From a distance, they bring comfort, but up close, they burn. Lupe keeps her arms around herself at, her, at the quinta's table. She watches her familia dance in front of her, all unaware of how much she wants this night to be over. But there's more. Carlita is at the back of the hall, tinkering with the computer, which is hooked up to a projector. A translucent sheet covers one wall, acting as a drive-in movie theater screen. Suddenly, the house lights dim, and the projector quietly plays images on the screen. There's music. 
the kind you hear playing over commercials with serene guitars. Guitars are so emotional. The familia stops dancing. They point at the screen and clasp their hands over their mouths to stifle their laughter as they reminisce over Chiquita Lupe. Que bonita! Lupe hears in the echoes around the hall, yet her tias don't say that directly to her anymore. Lupe grazes her fingertips over her lips. She needs mass lip gloss to hide how dry they are. But then someone else will want to kiss her, a reminder of all the ones she's had before. A voice bellows over the speakers. Mija? It's fragile. A piece of pottery cracked and glued and cracked and re-glued again. When Lupe looks up, her abuelo's deep brown eyes twinkle. The hall goes silent, save for the occasional sniffle. You look muy bonita, very beautiful. He laughs with his last bit of strength. I wish I could kiss you on your big day, but I am sure you have a boyfriend to do that for you now. You don't need me. Lupa swears she can hear her heart breaking, but it's just the sound of ice crackling in a lukewarm soda in a plastic cup nearby. Still, she clutches her chest, just in case her heart bursts out. Next up, we have Gerard Raju. Gerard Raju is an Afro-Latine non-binary writer. They have a bachelor's in sciences and criminal justice, and by day are a barista at the caf- coffee-fueled Portland, Oregon. They discovered their passion for putting words together in intricate ways when they were 12, and thanks to a couple of books, Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe being one of them. They now piece together words in ways movies play in one's mind. If not consumed by the magic of the world that inspires their words, they can be seen on a longboard figuring out what to eat or watching astronomy docs on YouTube. They'll be reading from their story under a sea of stars. (laughs) Hello, this is Gerard Raju, and I will be reading a brief passage from my section of this beautiful anthology entitled Under a Sea of Stars. Theoki tasted remorse like citrus pangs in the knot of his stomach. He understood his father's rampage was only because he had believed the crew on board kidnapped his only child. Theoki fled because he dreamed of the stars and he knew he would never be able to accomplish it if he remained underwater. He couldn't keep doing what he was told to him by his father. He knew Triton would roam every sea until Theoki returned, but he didn't want a life of solitude and meetings and royal duties. His heart pumped for more, for a romantic dance with the constellations that winked overhead. Theoki sank back under the thrashing dark blue and frothy white tides. The prince glided through the churning water, the thrill of leaving his home warming his flesh and scales against the cold currents. He swam until the floor beneath him gradually raised, jagged brown rocks greeting the prince as the tides rose. Yoki pushed himself up, peeking his head above the surface. The stars still played hide-and-seek. Yoki's dream was nothing more than a fairy tale. But anything was better than Triton's demands for a 17-year-old prince. He pushed on toward the lights ahead on the shore. I hope everyone gets to read this story 
and more in the lovely Latine anthology Where Monsters Lurk and Magic Hides. And finally, we have Catherine Hernandez. Catherine Hernandez is a speculative fiction writer and environment and sustainability PhD student based in Los Angeles. She's a graduate of the Clarion Science Fiction and Fantasy Workshop, and since then her work has been featured in Corio, 7x7 LA, Cotton Xenomorph, and Daily Science Fiction. Her latest piece was listed in the 2021 Locus Recommended Reading List. The granddaughter of Mexican and Guatemalan immigrants, Hernandez's writing is often inspired by her heritage and Southern California upbringing. She is a scientist, she believes in ghosts, and she hopes that your hauntings are kind. She'll be reading from her story, In Mi Son Palabras. This is K. Victoria Hernandez reading from my short story, In Mi Son Palabras. In her sleeping bag, Isabel thinks about premonitions and why they're so choosy about who gets to see them. When she sleeps, she does so on her side to prevent sleep paralysis, and in this way, Isabel knows that even if the truth came to her in a dream, she would not take its word. She'd rather call it a condition and find new ways to sleep so as to never dream at all. The last image she sees before waking are of orchards snapping and leaving their roots in the ground. It is the coldest hour of the night, and Isabel is not sure if it was the chill that brought her back from sleep or the intruding sound of wood floorboards creaking. The creaking starts at the front door, the front room, to the right and into the kitchen. The attached backyard door, a flimsy, noisy metal thing, shakes at its hinges, twice into the yard and back in, then through the TV room where she hears static before she remembers her uncle disconnected the TV yesterday and it shuts off again. Isabel listens and follows the schematic of the house in her head. Next is the hall, past the bathroom door, past the baby photo gallery, ending here with her at the bedroom door. It must be the wind blowing through unsealed windows. The wood in need of replacing. The pipes rested over, making a fuss as though the whole house is in a stage of mourning. Isabel mocks her fear. She gets up to mock the thing outside her door. Are you done? She says, face to face with the inside of the bedroom door. Because I need to sleep. You know, Mimi's? Or do you want to keep talking? Go ahead. I'm all ears. Seconds of silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Buenos noches, and she knocks the door. Keep it down out there. She chuckles to herself. The fear made silly, and that's gone. The house knocks back. Isabel scrambles into her sleeping bag with her eyes on the door. She waits, and there's no other knock. No wood creaking. The vengeful spirit comes to pay her back for her insolence. She waits a little longer, then lays down and prays for no dreams. Rule eight, always, always close a session. A nice solid goodbye is polite. More adios than hasta luego. Definitely not hasta pronto. You don't want that. Thank you so much for being here, Lauren and Kai. Would you want to give us a little background about how this collection came to be uh, before we start talking to our contributors and let us know how we got here? Of course. So thank you so much for having us. This is Kai. <laughs> and Lauren here. Um, yeah, super excited to be chatting with Skylight. Um, yeah, it, it came about pretty, pretty organically. Um, 
I guess I, I can start first um, and then I think I can jump in. But um, I had it been messaging a few people back and forth on Twitter, actually, about a lack of genre work for um, people of color specifically and especially um, communities of color Um you know, who have been so underrepresented in, you know, specifically for this case, horror and romance and um, sci-fi and fantasy. And had put out a tweet sort of just saying, like, I want to see our people and, and us represented, you know, with like mermaids and adventures in space and falling in love and some things that aren't always so heavy um, and had a lot of interest um, on that tweet and a lot of people just saying, you know, like, this should be a thing. We should make sure that this gets published. And a lot of presses were very interested in it. Um, and so I came up with the the anthology pitch, um, ended up splitting it into two different anthologies, one YA and one adult, and um, sort of started the querying journey for there and, and put it out on sub and had the privilege to connect with, with Be Infinite. Yeah, the beauty is we we found each other on Instagram, and this is Kai again, sorry. <laughs> and she, uh, Lauren, messaged us because she loved our mission statement because we are we're an equitable publishing house, and that is our our goal is to be a space to amplify BIPOC voices, you know, especially Black and Indigenous voices. And the beauty of this anthology is that it is such a mixture of cultures but obviously it's still very much entrenched in um, the Latine, Latinx um, culture. And so we loved the the inherent um, just complexity of it. There's so many stories that are so culturally rich and so important and vital to, and they, like Lauren said, they aren't so heavy on the sci-fi or aren't so heavy on the horror, but there's still that touch of romance that connects it all and at family. And it's just, yeah, it's just, we loved it. We fell in love. <laughs> we just wanted to publish it. And my favorite thing about being able to host these sort of group reading conversations is that a lot of these contributors, either they never get the chance to see each other in person or talk about their contributions to a collection um, that shares themes and uh different things like that. So I would love to open it up to our contributors, maybe one after the other, we can talk about uh, how you found the the Twitter thread, if that's where you found it, uh, Lauren's Twitter thread, uh, if this is a story that you had already had been working on or something that you had wanted to work on, and this kind of gave you the permission to do so. Um, so we can go around and everyone can give us a little background there. Well, I'll start. This is Taylor. Um, I found Lauren's call for submission on Twitter. Somehow we were mutuals. I don't really know uh, how that happened other than it happened. And I saw it. I hadn't really interacted with Lauren before that point. But my story Beyond the Mist was not one that I had already written. I saw the call for submission. I was like, I want to be a part of this. I wonder if I can just kind of make something up. And it was great about Lauren specifically requesting pitches as opposed to completed drafts is that I didn't have to already have something completed. And then also for me, I have a diaspora kind of experience of dealing with uh, imposter syndrome and all these sorts of things. And I hadn't really written anything that is so explicitly Latinx or, or Latina because it just... There's this whole like, oh, I'm not, 
I'm not allowed to or, or like whatever that I'm mostly over. Um, so I didn't have anything already written, but here was this anthology or this opportunity. I thought, okay, what is, what if I like made the Latinx thing like upfront and, and, and center, like what would that be? And I started thinking of things and I put something together, sent the pitch time went by and I just kind of said, all right, you know, I didn't get in whatever. Then I got the acceptance email from Lauren and uh, she had set up also a discord community for all of the authors that uh, had gotten accepted into, I think at the time it was originally going to be one anthology and eventually it split into two. But what I think is great about the discord is the community building that's been able to happen. Um, we've been able to help out with marketing and networking, which I've been, I've had pieces published in other anthologies, and this is the first one where it's been this sort of pre-publication community space. It's a very interesting model. And I'm wondering if, uh, if other editors of other anthologies do that sort of thing. If, if not, I think it's a great model because we've been able to coordinate, like I said, on like launch campaigns and some marketing stuff that I don't think would have been as effective if we were all isolated in our little silos. Um, and Taylor brings up a really interesting point. This is Kai that um, I know Lauren did amazing community work to get you all to just feel connected to one another. And that's something we value as a partnership publisher. We are, are not traditional. We're an independent publisher in that community aspect. We, me and Taylor, I mean, Lee, me and Lauren, we have uh, gone back and forth over text, just talking and really hammering details out because that's what is important to us. The pe It's very people first, people driven. And it's, that's what we think is important to our stories. And that's why we think our stories, we are become so authentic and so interesting. And that's why we just, these contributors, these authors are so amazing. So just want to point that out. <laughs> um, this is Catherine speaking by line, Kay Victoria and this. Um, and yeah, I saw the call um, because Lori and I were already two individuals and we had originally met on a panel in 2019. We were both um, kind of invited by the book YouTuber Paola Guerrera on her 2019 uh, Latinx Heritage YouTube series and we spoke there and I think I like to think we connected a lot on our shared experiences of what heritage meant to us on the cast stories we like to write. Uh, we're both grad students in LA and so from there we became Twitter mutuals and shared stories to each other and so I saw her call and it you know excited me to be a part of this. Um, started going back and forth about you know the cast stories we could write and talking about you know making this thing and I'm just excited to be a part of it. Um, yeah, the Discord has been great to be part of. I admittedly am quite quiet on it, but I love seeing the support and the authors and all the links. Um, I hope it stays alive for a good long time. Uh, and yeah, this, um, like Taylor had said, I um, I also have dealt with the whole imposter syndrome with Latinidad and also the complexities of that, the histories of that, our personal family histories. Uh, my grandparents are the one who came here so that the things that come with second third generation of a family with that history is I've thought about a lot and especially in this time of life as I provide more stories and the story that ultimately was written for this book um, really gave me the opportunity to think a lot about that and put that in a piece and it's nice to know that there are people like Lloyd and 
publishers like Be Infinite that are publishing these books where we can talk about those stories and get really, really honest about it, but also have fun with it in so many different ways of, you know, how to represent that reality without necessarily being only deep or heavy. Admittedly, my story is a little heavy at times, but it gave me the space to explore in so many different ways, and I'm really happy for that. Hi, so it's Ashley. I'll I'll go next. I kind of want to build off of um, Catherine said. Um, just first, I'll start with how I met Lauren, which honestly I don't remember. <laughs> um, uh, the the thing I do remember is Lauren DM'd me because I think I might have tweeted something along the lines of being frustrated that I couldn't find a Latina, Latinx anthology. And I'm an educator, I'm a professor, and we were creating a Latinx literature course. And um, some of the anthologies that you get are, you know, your basic Norton or whatever. And I'm like, okay, but does that encompass like Afro-Latinx, does that incorporate you know, Asian, Latinx, like, does it have all of that? Are all of those people representative of, like, all of Latinidad? And um, <clears throat> the answer was no. So, um, <laughs> so I think part of my frustrations might have, like, reached Lauren in some way. I was um, a Las Musas mentor, mentee, um, and I did a podcast, so maybe that's how we connected. I just remember that I got this DM and Lauren was like, do you want to contribute? Um, and like Taylor, uh, I I didn't have the, the story. I had an idea of the story of what I wanted to do. I'm really into exploring like the ceremony and traditions of things that I wasn't given um, like a quince. So I never had one. Um, and writing about them helps me sort of reclaim something that was taken away from me, um, specifically because, you know, my grandparents just were not proud of their heritage and tried to hide it as much as possible, even though we live in Pacoima and it's a, you know, a really big Hispanic community. Um, it was something that they were ashamed of. So writing these stories is a way for me to find that place and and so when I pitched the idea of course I had to incorporate abuelos some way <laughs> shape or form uh, to kind of pay homage to my grandparents um, who were ashamed to show them that you know even though they have passed that you know we never needed to be ashamed um, our culture is beautiful um, I wish you would have showed me more um, so it kind of it that's kind of like why I pitched that specific piece. Um, so also like Taylor, like I pitched it, didn't hear anything. I was like, is that a bad pitch? Do I need to stop writing about quinces and abuelos? And like, I know that's my brand, <laughs> but maybe I should stop. Um, but of course, uh, you know, Lauren wrote back and I was accepted. And then I had to write the piece, um, which was something I had never done before, which was like pitch and then write. Um, and I was a fairly new MFA student at the time, studying the short story form again and falling in love with short stories. So it was really nice um, to just play around with form again, um, explore heritage, and then create this anthology, which I can then, you know, I, not create it, but like contribute to it and then give this to, you know, my peers at, at the college that I was teaching at and say, here, <laughs> here here's the anthology that you're looking for, you should use this one. So 
it's been a really cool experience. I start. Um, mine was a bit different because I think I was the very, like, very last person on that was a contributor, I believe. Uh, it was like a last minute, uh, just like a tweet call out. I barely skimmed over it, but I was interested, uh, especially when I saw um, specifically specifically looking for Latinx writers that write in YA fantasy. Um, and so I just, I have a bad habit of just kind of shooting myself in the foot. So I DM'd Lauren and my first question was, I'm assuming this has already been taken. Um, like, uh, I'll see if it's okay. Um, obviously, it wasn't, and I, I mean, I was like a week late to the post anyways on Twitter, so I wasn't, I wasn't really sure, but I had something already kind of put together, but it was, you know, it was like 15% finished, it was just kind of sample material, um, and I sent it off to Lauren, uh, I told I maybe like two other writing mutuals about it, just because it's like, I obviously wanting to like write novels and everything is a big deal for me, but also I've been saying like all throughout 2021, I was like, oh, it'd be really lovely to like be a part of a YA knowledge collection. Um, just like one of those writer goals that you don't always stop to think about. Uh, and then yeah, time went by, I kind of forgot about it. I randomly went in my email uh, one night after doing some holiday shopping and I saw the uh, email from Lauren. I cried like so many times that night while roaming through the city. So that was a fun one, trying to keep it together while strangers just walked by. But yeah, the story was definitely uh, kind of piggybacking off of what Ashley was talking about. Uh, definitely growing up Afro-Latinx, I've always gotten the harsh realities of no matter which side I choose to take pride in, which is all sides, but it's always been a thing of you're not one or the other enough, or just you're not one or the other, or you're not. If you choose to love one part of you, then like you're choosing to, to neglect the other part, and it's just like not black enough, and never being like Latinx enough, and it's one of those things that has taken so so long to like sit with and really take pride in all parts of me um and yeah this is definitely the first story where i really explored like even just latinx characters like i've always um it's also probably like the second story i've ever written that's really also focusedly on like another latinx character but also just like black characters in general um, cause obviously publishing is hard publishing. You figure out along the way, like what kind of stories you want to tell and then who do you want to tell those stories for? Um, that definitely took quite some time figuring that one out. So this is like, this is my very beginning of just wanting to really hit home. This is who I am. And this is part of my heritage to just have, um, 
just like a two phrase like this to just be a part of something so beautiful and something that is so diverse because obviously when people think uh, anything in Latinidad, uh, you know, there is like one or two looks that they think of and anyone else that does not even remotely fit that bill. It's like, oh, are you sure this is what everyone else? Are you sure? It's one of those things where it's like, yes, yes, we, like so many, with other cultures, we come so vastly different. It's such a beautiful history and a beautiful eclectic mix of just everyone. And so like, like yeah, I'm really, really happy I got to be a part of this. and. I'm really happy that I decided to DM more in any ways because I really just thought um, eh, I'm probably not going to get in this, but it would be dope. It would be fun. It would be cool. Uh, <laughs> so that's how I eventually became a part of it. And I was so just lovely um, just joining. Uh, probably a bit intimidating just because everyone else already has stories. But Lauren was like, already editing and I just kind of came in and I had to still finish my story after getting the congratulations email so but and it seems like a a common thread in a lot of what you all were saying about responding to the call for submissions and also uh working in your own work as well the things you'd been working on or wanted to work on um there is a lot of marginalization, imposter syndrome, like trying to figure out how to tell your stories the way that you want. Um, and as a bookseller, I feel like I've also seen a bit of a, I'd say a resurgence because I don't want to say like new um, or it's just starting because it's always been around, but a resurgence in specifically cultural uh, genre storytelling um, horror, romance, uh, gothic horror, all these different things, mysteries. Um, and so I'd love to hear each of you tell us a little bit about how genre storytelling or even just reading genre stories, uh, has sort of helped you either find your identity or work through your identity or why you think those sort of storytelling uh, practices are helpful for people who may be having trouble finding themselves in that area yeah I can I can just speak to that really quickly because I, I really want the contributors to to answer this but one of the things that I was thinking about when I was trying to decide like which which genres of all of the genres to include in these anthologies because obviously there are so many different genres that could have been picked um I feel like oftentimes Latin A and Latinx writers, if we do write genre, it's just automatically assumed that it's magical realism, no matter what sort of genre we write. Like if it has any sort of fantastical element, it's automatically, that's just what it's labeled. Um, so I really wanted to be very intentional when putting this together to, to take some of those genres that are often just sort of shoved on, on the bookshelf into that specific magical realism umbrella and sort of parse through them and try to see like how they could be differentiated. Um, but yeah, I wish, of course, I had had the space to, to go in depth and, and you know, do some some interesting genre work with, you know, like thriller or mystery or 
um, some other different genres, but um, maybe in the future, but I would love to hear what everybody else says. I'll uh, start things off again. This is Taylor. So one of my favorite things about genre fiction and how it functions is that the fantastical elements of it, whatever it may be, sort of exaggerates or enhances realities in our own world and allows us to look at things in sort of a safer way because the genre element is the made up thing. The example that comes to mind is uh, the Dread Nation series. Um, if you're familiar with that, how the how the zombies work in that, it uh, highlights this very real conversation about racism and the uh, reconstruction era of United States history. But because there's the speculative horror element, it it not only uh, puts into stark contrast some of the things that maybe in our world are could be harder to see, but I think also for those who would be challenged by the kinds of conversations or uh, or messages that that type of story brings up, it's a little bit of a safer method to explore that or safer maybe isn't the right word. Rather, it it's a way that can challenge that. But then the person that needs to be working through that doesn't feel may, may not feel as directly confrontational about it because the the genre element is this thing that's obviously not real in our world, but it's making it so that they can understand it in a new way and then maybe be more open to the actual uh, issues and conversations in, in our own world. So I think that's one great function of genre fiction. The other great function is that it's just a lot of fun. And I think too, um, for the writers and for those of us in these marginalized communities that are going to genre fiction or writing genre fiction, the speculative element of it can also be a safe way for us to explore things that are really hard and hurtful to talk about. But because we are channeling that into this technology that we've made up or this uh, this fantasy world, it's easier to work through those feelings, those experiences, those emotions. There can be some truth behind it, but it's not like revealing all of our 100% personal business out there. So, and then of course, readers read that and they see their own experiences reflected in that and feel affirmed. Like I know a few years back, I was reading the Puerto Rico Strong anthology, which was a graphic novel anthology that came out in the wake of Hurricane Maria. And uh, I remember I bought the anthology and I was like, okay, I'm probably not going to relate to any of this in here because I was really deep in my diaspora kid imposter syndrome disconnection feelings. And there were certain things I was like, wait a second, my mom literally told me this on the phone the other day. This is just creepy that I'm reading this in this random graphic novel. This person doesn't know my life and yet here it is. And that was a really affirming experience for me. And so I, I think that is also, well, Puerto Rico Strong isn't really, some of the stories are genre fiction. Some of them are just kind of straight up contemporary real world stuff. But regardless, I, I think that that is a great function of genre fiction as well. The the whole um, mirrors, doors, uh, mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors, uh, that, that whole concept I think is really um, prevalent when it comes to marginalized groups writing and reading stories uh, like this anthology. 
That's great, Taylor. Anything I can say is probably going to be a bit redundant to what you already explained. Um, yeah, I agree a lot of that. Definitely as, you know, as a reader, listener, a watcher of genre fiction, I've noticed the ways, like from a young age watching it, it's it's exciting, it's fun, there could be adventure, there could be some mystery to it. And as an adult, I like, think about it as a writer and more deeply, I notice a lot of how genre fiction when it comes to deep topics of culture and experience works for me often in ways the same way comedy in my family works for me of like say the truth but say it's slanted is that it could be so hard to approach something um and my family is definitely the kind of ones where you know for better or for worse depending on the situation what we need um we joke of well we can laugh about it we can cry and we don't want to cry so we're gonna laugh and that's not always what you need, but at times that's exactly what I need. And when it comes to writing and when I, what I choose to interact with, sometimes it's, it could be hard to just sit there and be like, okay, let's talk about my drama. Let's talk about what I want to talk about. And instead, it starts, a lot of my stories I know for me start off with something I think is funny of, you know, what if a UFO was actually a tortilla? And then the the whole thing becomes a longer bit about, experience with we're feeling out of place with imposter syndrome with trying to like bring it back but that itself feeling like a wrong act and all that um there's still a tortilla in the sky though and that's I still need that to approach this and I found the same thing with as a so watcher reader of genre fiction that I love so much is being able to see other people do that or you know being able to to feel comfortable to come into like a horror story um and then by the end, crying real cathartic tears um, and having that relief and just seeing all the different ways we as people can can take the fantastical and turn it into like a, tr- a true, just what's the word I'm looking for? Like bonding experience and that over werewolves and vampires and exactly whatever I need at the moment. Um, so I, I really value that with genre fiction and I find that that's, it's helped me kind of put a lot of things on the page in a way that that also makes it a little less scary for me when it comes to I want to to speak about my family history and my feelings about it. Um, I think a lot of us have felt of how do we how do we come in here as Latina Latinx writers while knowing that there are people out there who are going to be looking at writing as representative of a community though we keep saying we're not a monolith and judging all of us by what we may write. And also when it comes with the feeling of the imposter, like judging ourselves as we're writing. Um, I find that this may be just my experience, but like genre fiction gives, lets me enter in through the same kind of distance that feels, that lets me approach that vulnerability more and feel like I can trust myself and trust others more with that piece. And that just may be more my comfort with adventure and fantasy and horror and whatnot but it's it's almost comforting to deal with the scary in that sense when reality can be just as just as horrifying but even closer hi so it's ashley again and um i think i have a literary background so my ba was literary fiction and that's what i wrote for, I don't know, I want to say like 10 years of my life. And I never found it 
accessible. I found it so hard to write literary fiction because there was always like, you had to have like 10,000 subtext underneath it to make it smart. And I'm like, okay, I, I can't. I can't do this anymore. It's exhausting, it's tiring. So honestly, I didn't start getting into genre fiction until maybe like four years ago uh, when I started writing romance. Um, but the funny thing about romance is um, in writing romance, I discovered how arrow ace I am. <laughs> like none of these things make sense to me. And I was like, oh, that's why, like, I love romance. I love the beats. It's, but, you know, personally, it's just not for me. And when I started thinking about writing genre, I was so forced with romance genre to meet these certain beats of, like, you have to have your meet cute, then you have to, like, fall in love and court each other and then kiss. And then maybe there is, like, you know, off-page sex or something. And I'm like, this, this doesn't work. Um, like I like the like cutesy hand holding, like that's the end goal. Um, and a lot of my fiction is like, let's just get to the hand holding. Um, that's that's for me. Um, so constructing this YA romance it took me back to um, you know, some of my first crushes in this like sort of time period, but like what that meant for me and why my beats of romance look different than somebody else's. And I, I don't know, I just finally, it, it came together that there are different beats in Arrow Ace romances than there are in, you know, allosexual, you know, normative um, romances. So I wanted that to be seen in romance because by the end of this, this story, there is still a romance element, but it's not the one that everyone is used to seeing. And I wanted kids like me to know that you don't have to love one way. There are so many ways to receive and be loved. And, you know, romance, getting married, that's not always the end goal. And it doesn't have to be the end goal for you, right? Like how you receive love, whether it be platonic or familial, that's enough that's all you need. Um, so don't try to fit yourself into a box. And I think that's what my character finally realizes, you know, is she has all the love she needs and she doesn't, I mean, she's at her quince's and like, historically quince's were like, basically like, you're ready for marriage, right? Um, so it's, it was cool to kind of take that idea and subvert that tradition of like, you are already growing up. You've already experienced loss and grief you have love, hold on to that. Um, so I, in any kind of romance genre, that's something that I'm trying to elevate is that, you know, there are different kinds of love and we need to, to see that. We need to also just recognize platonic love and, and all kinds that are there. So, and that was something that literary fiction didn't give me um, like at all. Cause I'm sure I would have had to come up with like some smart metaphor um, that, people would have had to use Google and an encyclopedia and databases to try to figure out <laughs> and it just wouldn't be accessible. Um, so writing here feels like home. It's, it's not scary, it's accessible. You can see the, the subtext there without being like, okay, now I need to go on like JSTOR <laughs> and like research that, that specific thing.
So hopefully that's what some of, you know, the readers who approach this story take away from that um, is, yeah, there's all ways to love. And romance fiction doesn't have to have any heat. So zero, mild or nothing. So that's all fine. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I just again. Um, this is definitely like the main genre fiction I've kind of found myself into. Um, and without honestly ever thinking about it, I've always, always have written romance, but always adding the like those bits of magical realism or just having something speculative or fantastical. Like, I remember I wanted to write. Uh, like years ago, wrote a story and like the way someone explained it to me, and I was like, no, it's contemporary. And they're like, no, this is fantasy because you're doing all these different things, even though it's set in a contemporary setting. And I was like, oh, well, I guess this is my niche. Um, but yeah, just kind of like exploring. I'm not ace, but I do love. Like, I think my favorite parts of romance genre isn't necessarily, like, the heat or anything like that. It's all, like, the build-up. Like, I love the stolen glances. I love, like, that little hand-holding, the touching, the pet names, the just, like, I'm an absolute sucker for all of it. And then I think, too, what's really lovely about genre fiction, and especially with, um, what I love to do, especially in a lot of my stories, is kind of weave in that little of, and also hit home that yeah, sometimes the chronicles, um, but it is just as important as uh, obviously a romantic one, and that the romantic love doesn't always have to be the end goal. And then I think also honing in on, for me, always having that slight bit of an allegory for being non-binary. Uh, which I think is also sometimes where it comes into play of like, okay, we can make this character, they can have a normal life. Uh, they could be stars uh, out in space. They could be, as people will be here, they could be a mermaid uh, drifting through seas. And so it's just always been such a beautifully intricate way to want to combine kind of that interest of fantasy without having to delve into like full-on fantasy because I've never I've never cared for the mainstream bits of fantasy that like growing up was like Harry Potter or like Lord of the Rings that type of stuff I never got into but I always liked you know fables and I love fairy tales and studying uh different cultural mythologies um, and just kind of okay if I've lived in like the 1600s uh, and I was one specific just villager casually going about my random day and all of a sudden like you know El Chupacabra turns out not like vicious uh, creature, whatever in size, instead, like, who knows, some like cute puppy or like some weird prince of a whole, like, you can just dive deep with really anything. Um, 
I think it's just kind of combining those different elements of hitting home just how much I love romance genre um, and just like the storytelling of, um, you know. I also find, find myself usually not always doing romance and I'm a sucker for friends and lovers trope. Uh, that is top tier in my eyes, in my heart, uh, from personal experience. But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, getting to weave a romance off of an already established kind of connection, I always think is really fun, something to play with. And then getting to add on that, like, that speculative and just kind of adding those little nuances and magical realism with the, as everyone else has already mentioned, like being able to play with it in a way where it's like, I can put the wounds that of myself in there without having to reveal too much, but also in a way it's helping me process uh, whatever I need to process. And I just hope that it helps others uh, process whatever it is they need to process and also do it in a way where reason Lauren thought of these anthologies is like do in a way that gives the communities like us a voice, a reason, a bit of like hope or understanding. Uh, as opposed to just kind of being left in the dark and just only being told we can tell like one story or being assumed that if we tell a certain genre that it's only ever going to come out with the features as well. I just, I think Jonathan definitely is such a beautiful thing, and I think the influence of it, doing something like this. And then I have one more sort of double question for everyone that we can uh, end on. One is an easy one, sort of, I think. <laughs> what do you hope that readers will take away from your stories in this collection and the collection as a whole? And then I would also love to know if your work on this collection or just the existence of this collection in general has inspired you to create some other work or if it's opened any doors for you creatively that you feel uh certain things are possible now that weren't quite possible before you saw Lauren's tweet and call for submission for something like this. So one thing, this is Taylor. I, uh, one thing I hope that readers can get from my story beyond the mist is, uh, well, especially the diaspora kids who aren't taught Spanish in their house or otherwise have ways that they are distanced from their culture. That that experience goes well beyond anything that they did or their parents did or their grandparents or however many generations and that reconnection can be weird uh but it can ultimately be a, a good thing and that also to recognize that the separation of uh, uh the the distance is a force that in my story, I characterize it as like an evil force um, that the characters do ultimately overcome. But 
it is something that you can work through to heal yourself, heal your family, heal your community. Um, so I, I hope that readers can get that out of the collection. And as far as what has this done for me creatively, I, I think that this has helped me to think that, so my, my story is a second world fantasy, meaning it, it doesn't take place in this world. I've made up a, a world and not only did I make it up, but it's the first second world fantasy thing that is, that I would say is like really uh, explicitly Latinx. Like I was really making it kind of obvious and intentional and it made me sort of feel like, okay, I can do this in this other larger fantasy concept that I have a second world fantasy concept that I have. So making me feel a little bit more comfortable doing that. And uh, again, getting over some of that imposter syndrome. And then also think about, especially with second world fantasy, I don't think people would use Latinx or Latina as the identifier uh, just because of how history and all, all of that works. So that's something that I think about a lot too, is like second world Latinx fantasy, the people themselves wouldn't necessarily be using that that language, which is a whole other podcast to to uh, to go off on. But uh, but that's just the the beauty of really like explicitly weaving in our culture into speculative fiction as we get to think about these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, right. So this is Catherine again. Um... Right, so my story in this anthology is in his own palabras, we previously kind of Spanglish title. And the story is about a girl who had just lost her grandmother and is taking care of the house for resale and the haunting for one actor or another. And when I wrote this originally, when I was invited including to this anthology, um, I was thinking about you know, stories I was told about like the old house in Mexico that my grandparents grew up in or my bisabuelos of the ghosts there that they were witness that were accepted of that. And in the weeks following trying to think of what to write, my paternal grandmother passed away. And the loss of, within that week, I ended up writing the first draft of the story. And so when I wrote this, it's it's, very closely drawn to that and I was dealing a lot with feelings of both the loss of my grandmother that I didn't know how to process and then feeling shame for not feeling I was processing it processing it in the way I should have and also that feeling of losing that connection to to my whole like family's history to the quote-unquote motherland um, or the home country you know a lot of the reconnection work I've done for myself over my entire life of trying to learn Spanish or learn how to cook certain dishes or listen to certain music was to have some kind of connection to my grandparents. And then doing that while also not feeling like it was ever enough or that there was always, oh, you know, the proverbial wall there, you know, to fit within our histories, uh, or at least my family's history. And so writing this is a close to that um and when I think about what I want people to get from reading I guess 
it's just what maybe I want of of comfort of you know that shared experience but also of a good haunt and of of enoughness that there there's all this pressure at least how I've experienced of the idea of what it means to be Latinx enough of, you know, can you, can you speak this language? Can you, do you know these foods? Can you dance in this way? Can you do that? Can you do this? Do you look like this? Do you act like this? And it's just so much that is never feels like you can ever be enough. And I just hope people can read this and, and feel enough and know that whether it's from within the family or from the entire community from friends, that there are people who, who understand who are there and, you know, the hope of, of memories being a good haunt and haunts can be really beautiful things even when they are painful and they do stick around, but it's it's because you miss them and you want those moments back and they can stay a little bit longer. Um, so yeah, and since being in part of this anthology and this whole process, I think bringing back to what was said earlier about the discord, I think since being part of this and seeing all these other authors in the community have been really great and has given me I guess new confidence on where I can submit my writing on how much I can be, you know, my full Latinx complicated Californian Tikana self of that, you know, to reality and the complexity of it. So I'm more confident putting a little bit more Spanish, but the way I speak in the Spanglishness of it, of the idea of maybe writing like bilingual story, the, you know, all this or bringing in the very you know, California is a bit of, for me, it's, you know, my memories are like, you know, you, you put on an anime and then you go get tacos from the, down the street, from the taco street and like all this, I feel a lot more welcomed and confident in doing that since meeting more people who are writing this, who are pushing this out there, you know, be infinite publishers who are making this happen, Lauren, the editors who are making this happen. So I'm excited to to write more authentic stories of myself um, and then, you know, put them out in the world with other wonderful writers like everyone here. It's Ashley again. It's always weird coming back. I'm like, hi. Um, so, I don't know. I, I think I want to start with what I would like my readers to take away from this is one, don't listen to your tias. They don't know everything. I had to say it had to say it um your theas do not know everything you do not need to find that perfect kiss you are enough um and hold on to that um and first and foremost and always remember that you're not broken um because I know that when I wrote that story I was thinking of little 15 year old me who was trying to find that perfect kiss and I was I felt so broken because when I got it, it was like, oh, I don't care about this. <laughs> um, let's, let's try a bunch of other people. I don't care about this. What's wrong with me? And I felt broken for so many years trying and trying to fill that void of like, what's wrong with me? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Then um, your theos might tell you otherwise, right? So again, I'm just going to go back to that because whatever, <laughs> um, experiences with my own theas. Um, so that's what I would like for my readers to take away from it. And um, in terms of like the anthology as a whole, remember I have a literary background, I'm an academic. I really just wanna wave 
this anthology in front of people who hold so traditionally to literary fiction and their Norton anthology and say, you don't need that to teach a class. You can use this. And all of these stories are valid, authentic. They do not need to be like authenticated by Norton in order for them to be taught. Um, <clears throat> and that's that's really something that when I was asked to be a contributor was like, <laughs> this is it. Um, this is how we enter those academic spaces. We enter MFA programs, PhD programs, and people get to hear our, vo our voices and see the way that we construct stories and that our construction of stories is not always gonna be a three-act structure. It might have four, it might have five. Uh, it's not gonna always have the literary elements that you're taught. Um, so I think it will give educators and others you know, the room to play and experiment and, you know, find their authentic way of telling a story. So that's what I think for the anthology as a whole. For me personally, as a writer, what this took away, what I took away from this um, rather is, um, this is the first time a short story of mine has been published anywhere. Um, like I said, I had a literary background. I put my short story out for many, many, like several short stories out for many publications. And I always got rejected under those pretenses of like, it's not literary enough, or it doesn't have this, or it's missing this. Um, and I think by that validation, I feel more like a writer. I kind of felt fake for a long time, even if I had the degrees and I did it for fun and I'm like hey I grew up you know writing fan fiction but I still don't feel like a writer even though I've been doing it my whole life this gave me the opportunity to say you are a writer your stories are valid like something Catherine was saying the way that I've experienced my culture and you know that intersection also with like being ace arrow that's valid too um and so I I feel that empowerment um, and then I'm sure when I read everybody else's stories, I'm only going to feel more empowered because I'm sure that all of us have some sort of through line that we can all latch on onto because we've been there before. Um, and I'm excited to, to dive into that and, and feel that validation and feel my community like in words, because I've never seen my community in words. Um, so this is really exciting for me. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. Sure, then. Um, I'll start, I guess. Yeah, what I really would love readers to take away from this story. Um, it's just uh, like I originally wrote this for a completely different young adult anthology that, ironically, Lauren is now a part of. <laughs> so that's hilarious. Um, but like the original, that original call out was just like, uh, it was BIPOC fails. Um, and I think what I loved about it so much, just in general, was focusing that people of color can be and do just as much as anything else that we could do as our white counterparts. Um, and that we deserve the happy ending, the happily ever afters, the first kisses, the 
high fantasy, like the big adventures, and it doesn't have to be rooted or suited in trauma that is just solely coded to our like our skin tone, so our diaspora, our background. Um, and so that was like one of the most important things for me to really tell here is just like showcasing uh, these characters that go on this big adventure and just existing and having fun um, and just really you know vibing out there <laughs> in the plot I'm trying not to spoil it for people but um I just think that's such an important factor to me um as far as like mythology as a whole I just think it's really brilliant and just really beautiful to also have such a wide display of uh different uh, Latinx uh, backgrounds and diasporas all just kind of in one book um, and everyone's got like little pieces of their cultures um, sprinkled into their own stories and I think that's going to be so beautiful for readers because you're not going to get like one like someone mentioned earlier like Latinx culture is not monolith and I think to just have like all these different backgrounds kind of come together in these different stories and stories and told based off of you know, our heritages or our upbringings or parts of our cultures. Um, it was definitely like something that I thoroughly just enjoyed was just bringing in just like a couple of Spanish words here and there that were like for like the village name or knowing based off of where my heritage is uh getting to do like a mermaid story um in general and then like there's a palm tree it has like significance in the story as um indigenous in like central america and it like that small thing it meant like so much to me just to put something that like it's so simple so minimal but have just like this, so much nuance to it um and just stuff like that i really really hope there's generally just not to take out of the story so i think everyone is, that's contributed is just absolutely talented and brilliant but i just also think you know the reason that we're here together in this anthology is like showcasing just how beautiful how diverse Latinx culture um, can be. I just I think that's like one of the number one things I want readers to really take from as a whole and also just like from my story as well. Um, as far as what it has inspired, actually, uh, when I when I came back to the story to work on it for this is uh, it was kind of nice because I relation and obviously I've written always processed um in different ways and longing for that uh, as well as kind of realizing like a lot of my words are <laughs> friends to lovers trope um this one's more so I guess technically like strangers to friends to lovers since it's 
it's meant to emulate kind of like a new age Latin X like fairy tale. But uh, so it definitely inspired me to write a full novel um, that I had like a small concept for uh, just based off of like things that are just continuously showing up in my work. Let's delve deeper into this. Let's explore more. Um, and then I think what it really just also really helped me with was uh, as opposed to having characters like myself uh, of my own uh, background kind of play like side characters and kind of be like main roles but in the background it's just specifically writing like unapologetically writing so many like black and latinx characters um and that like that really warmed my heart because that's letting kids teens and like young adults just letting people know like there's not one that way of how anyone comes and to just kind of put them out there and then to just kind of showcase it on a wider scale for audiences and uh, uh, that just means much to me and especially as a person that grew up like, in a black household but also being uh, fortunate enough to also be raised with latin culture as well um and then just kind of hold off from like one or the other, depending on like how in my young adult years, just kind of drifting, going from like city to city, hanging out with whomever and not like, you know, trying to figure myself out, but also losing parts of myself and along the way. And I just think this uh, anthology, this story specifically for me is definitely helps just how I choose to write and how what elements of myself I really, really want to showcase for the world. So I'm forever grateful, and it's been an absolute blast. The part of something beautiful and so cool at the same time. Yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you all. This is Kai again. And I just want to chime in and say that it was I think this anthology and why it's important is that if you read it, it really makes you want to write too. I think all of you have done such an incredible job of sharing your stories and sharing them in such an authentic way that it really sparks something. And then that any reader will be so encouraged to take on that mantle or take the torch and say, hey, I want to try this writing stuff too, or I want to let my stories shine through too. And so I thank you all for your stories because they're just, as someone that published them, they're beautiful to read. And I'm glad I was able to produce them too. So I just think that's something important. I think right readers will definitely take that away too. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure to have the ability to edit all of these amusing stories and collate them. And I know it's been a, a lengthy process for all of us on the, on the editorial end. Um, a good, a good, like almost two years now, I think that we've been at this before publication. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, when you have the book in your hand and you get to see those words and our stories and our culture and our people in, in print, it, it really does make it all worth it. But yeah, just so glad to have all of you here and be able to, to chat about um, our anthology.
And yes, thank you to Kai and Lauren uh, for making this all happen. And thank you to Taylor and Catherine, Ashley and Gerard for sharing your stories with us and for talking to us about this anthology. For anyone who is looking to get a copy of Where Monsters Lurk and Magic Hides, which I'm assuming is Thank everyone. you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast a copy series. Of it, Please you don't can forget grab a copy from Skylight Books, where we will have some sure on the shelf for you, and, and maybe any also, of our contributors that are local would like to stop by and sign and them for our customers so our readers can have signed copies as well. Thank you again to everyone for joining us, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. Thank you.